The salvation for me is that I'm rooted in this way of life, which has never let me down. And it's my compass for how to be in the world in a way that not only makes sense intellectually, but it is so congruent with my heart. It's so freeing and liberating to be untethered from all these um, conditioning ideas that we've got to prove ourselves or we've got to get it right. Because the truth is, it's already right. We don't have to get anything right. It's already perfect. We just have to be conscious of what's happening. That's the inner work. Welcome to Pacific Rim College Radio, a podcast sharing stories and wisdom from experts in the fields of holistic wellness and sustainable living. I am your host, Todd Howard. As the show's guests demonstrate, by doing small acts to embrace more mindful living, we can positively impact our communities. Judy Becker-Worsley and David Berkshire return for another episode and a deeper dive into the Worsley Five Element lineage. Judy continues to share with us the impact on her life of the philosophies of the Five Element system and how it has always served as a compass for her. The teachings of J.R. Worsley that she and David continue to passionately share help to liberate practitioners from the brainwashing of society, including the fallacy that by labeling people, we better understand them. Foundational to J.R.'s teachings are the practices of humility, curiosity, and presence. These not only are hallmarks of impactful practitioners of medicine, but also of practitioners of life, as they help the individual transform into a state of freedom and peace. We also explore more technical details of five-element medicine, especially through an examination of the differences between constitutional factors and causative factors. And we conclude with the power of five elements in helping us to better understand the natural order of all. Judy Becker-Worsley has been a devoted student of Professor J.R. Worsley since 1973 and was designated by J.R. to succeed him as master of the lineage upon his death. Prior to his death, they founded the Worsley Institute, which is dedicated to the preservation and promotion of the Worsley five-element acupuncture tradition that is rooted in natural law. David Berkshire is president of the Worsley Institute, located in Portland, Oregon, where David also has a busy clinical practice. Please enjoy this episode of Pacific Rim College Radio with Judy Becker-Worsley and David Berkshire. Judy and David, welcome back to Pacific Rim College Radio. Thank you so much for inviting us back. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be with you again. Yes, thank you. So last time we talked about a lot of interesting things going on with your educational institution, your writing, uh, the book that you're continually working on, on the spirit of acupuncture points. Uh, we talked a fair bit about Judy, about your, your journey and, and getting into the field of five elements and your work with JR. I had such a good time and there were so many directions we could have gone that we didn't have time to go. So I thought it'd be great just to sit down again with uh, a little less time restriction and just see where things go. Thank you. I enjoyed it too. Since we last talked, and I know this, this often happens with, with uh, people I interview, they'll listen back to it and wish there were things that they would have said that we didn't get into. Is there anything in particular that you guys wanted to explore today that we didn't have time to explore last time? Well, 
I have an allergy to listening to myself, so I didn't <laughs> listen to it. Oh, good. <laughs> but but, but um, David was kind enough to go through it and, and give me a list of things we covered. And I was astounded at the um, highlights that he sent in a list form. So it, it sounds like we skirted over a lot of uh, subjects. Um, when David and I were having a chat earlier, I said to him, do you, do you think that we touched deeply enough about why JR called this, what he was teaching us, a way of life? And I did mention that that was the thing that hooked me in the first instance, because it continues to hook me 49 years later, especially in today's climate where people seem, and I'm getting maybe a little close to political, seem, this is an old lady's perspective, to be more interested in collecting information, um, academic information. It's a matter of how much you know that mm -hmm. makes you feel adequate instead of how little you know and how willing you are to jump off the cliff into not knowing wh what, where you're gonna be led when you're with somebody. Oh, I'm so glad so, you brought this up. You really? Oh, I am. Okay. It's, and well, it's, here we are. Yeah. I, we talk, the medicines that we teach often, the term holistic is used in describing them. And holism, of course, is so much more than just taking in the academic information and memorizing things and being able to regurgitate or practice it in the clinic. And as you said, with what drew you in was that the way of life. And I remember in the early years of the college during orientations uh, for new students, I would always say that even if you never use this in your professional career, the information that you're going to learn, the information that you're going to acquire, the knowledge you're going to gain is so essential to life in general. And it's going to change the way you, you live in the world. Because there's just, it's, it's, as you guys know, it's so profound. It is very hard to dive into any facet of Chinese medicine or herbal medicine or Ayurveda or whatever holistic approach we take without it being a life altering experience. Correct. And I, and I'm old enough now to, to watch, um, trends coming and going and I because obviously I, I was educated through the 60s which is an era that they say if you remember the 60s you weren't there <laughs> so it was it, it definitely had a certain quality to it and I, I through the decades now it's many decades since I've watched different trends and different um, emphasis on different values come and go. And I'm not, what's the word? I feel, I feel lucky that I'm not starting off in today's atmosphere as a young person. Cause I, I, and that's, that's a commentary on our, on the culture. I think that we've, well, I don't want to go on and on about it, but I, the resurrection for me or the salvation for me is that I'm rooted in this way of life, which has never let me down. And it's my compass. 
for how to be in the world in a way that not only makes sense intellectually, but it is so congruent with my heart and my sense of what, what is true and what is kind and what is beautiful. So I, I, I love the system of medicine and I feel sad that sometimes there seems to be a, um, a distraction that our culture is cultivating. Yeah. So that, so that people miss the beauty of this. I do find that the medicine, and we'll stick with even just with five elements, it's such a powerful system that the more you know, the deeper one has, the deeper one is forced, I find, to do an internal reflection and an internal inventory on our place and our existence in the world. And it's one where I think taking personal accountability becomes very, very important. And as a practitioner, if we are not owning all of our own limitations, then it's very hard for us, I think, to sit in front of another, uh, in front of our patient and be able to deliver them the medicine that, that we can offer if we're in a place of victimization or haven't dealt with our anger or our grief or whatever it may be. It's very difficult, I find, for us to then tune into the patient and become the, the conduit for the medicine. Because we're not, of course, we're not the healers. I think many people would agree with that. Uh, we, are, we are basically mediums that are allowing the healing to take place within the patients. You, you're speaking in a way of just being really honest, Todd, is that self-honesty and, and then being honest with others. Is that, Judy, part of that way of life that you, you're speaking about? Or is that, what are those, when you talk about that way of life, what are you pointing towards? Well, I understand in my mind what Todd's pointing to about dealing with your own anger and dealing with your own grief. But I'd, I'd almost, I almost balked at that for a moment because I thought, is that really possible? Do we ever deal with our emotions in that sense? I think what, what my experience is that we become at peace more and more with the fact that we have these emotions and we embrace them in a different way, but I don't think you ever rise above them or become free of them. So the way of life that JR taught us, the key, the key factor is a quality of humility and curiosity and presence to what's happening right now, which Todd, you, you're a living example of somebody that models that by the way that you have conversations with having had, as you told us earlier, an agenda or a structure or an outline. There's very few people that are willing to live that way. We've been bred in our culture to find adequacy in being either right or in being adequate or in proving ourselves to other people. And we do that through having agendas, how we're gonna perform, or how we're going to uh, impress other people. I mean, there's all varieties of how we do that, but it's to 
slowly but determined with determination face what JR would call looking in the mirror. He always used to say, if you've got a problem, you'll find the answer in the mirror because we're all so much brainwashed into finding our solutions or the problem out there. And he was just so good at reminding us that the place to find not only the problem, but the answer was to go inside. So I think that touches on what you were saying, Todd, in a slightly different angle. It, it um, does. Actually, I don't even know if it's a different angle. I absolutely resonate with what you're saying. And that self-inquiry, I think, is first and foremost to healing and to being a healer. And I agree that whatever we, whatever energy we put out into the world is what we're going to get back. And so everything becomes a reflection of us. And you spoke about kind of that cultural mindset of seeking validation for everything. And I think most people wouldn't even realize that they are seeking validation, but when we are putting our value system on something extrinsic to us, we are actually living in a victim mentality because the only thing we can control is that which is within us, our reaction to what is going on. We can't control what is going on. And if we're, if we're stuck in a place of always waiting for this to change or for that to happen or this to go away, and if only that happens, then we're constantly in a state of victimhood as opposed to being in a place of empowerment. And so I think from what I hear from you, Judy, and what JR is saying, if you want to find your problems and your solutions, look in the mirror, because yes, that's the only thing that we can control is our reaction to what is going on in the world. And for many people, what triggers them may not trigger someone next to them. What may be a trigger to one person might not have any impact negatively whatsoever on another person. It's not about the event. It's about how we respond or react to the event. Correct. Yes. I resonate totally with that. Totally. So how does the, how does the medicine, when I say the medicine, how does this, the five element system and the system that JR was teaching, how does it encourage that self-inquiry? Good question. Good, good, good. Because the way he taught us was that you, you figure it out or you experience it like almost one molecule at a time because you, the embodiment is a slow process. It's not, a, it's not a academic process. So the embodiment is that you slowly realize or sometimes have a revelation, but even then it's still a process of purification that all you really have is right now and all you really are is what you are right now and that's that presence is what he was teaching us constantly and when you're present with the person everything about them will reveal itself if you're willing to listen but what we do is we filter it out because we've been brainwashed that the person's going to fit into certain types or certain characteristics and we've got it all figured out we have this like little book this little recipe book if the person does this then it means that so that gives us adequacy but it's false it's false adequacy 
what is real is what you're willing to learn and experience with the person right now. And it, it does mean jumping off a cliff into the unknown. It means you don't have the book, you don't have the recipe, you don't have the types, you don't have the associations that put people into boxes. What you have is how you register right now where they're coming from. And that's what JR meant by diagnosing the, for instance, the emotion or the, the sound, the color and the odor. All of those things are experienced right now. But people, because we're humans, we all have little mind tricks that will distract us from the discomfort because it's not always comfortable to sit there thinking, I don't know anything right now. And there's a twinge of association of discomfort. If not a twinge, then it can be a, a strong sting of discomfort because it runs counter to what we've been brainwashed to believing, which is that we need to know what we're doing. We need to get it right. I'm 75 this year and I am, I know the feeling every time I go into a patient, especially when other people are relying on me to diagnose them. I know that feeling of experiencing a clenching inside. And the clench is the pressure to get to get the answer. And I have to take a deep breath and I, I can find the humor quicker now, but it's taken me five decades to discover that it's, it's, it's nonsense to live with that kind of strangula, inner strangulation. So here's, here's one example of how we, we, we can fall into a hip, hypocritical situation. The Chinese taught and teach in their texts in beautiful ways that there's the macrocosm and the microcosm that each reflect each other. But we in the West, especially in current, current times, don't wanna, don't wanna live that way. We don't want that to be our way of living. It's a concept, but if you live it, if you really get that we are a reflection of our perception is a projection of what's, what's the mirror inside of us, then suddenly reality shifts. And it shifts in a way that my experience is liberating. It's so freeing and liberating to, to untether, be untethered from all these um, conditioning ideas that we've got to prove ourselves or we've got to get it right. Because the truth is it's already right. We don't have to get anything right. It's already perfect. We just have to be conscious of what's happening. And that that's the inner work. That's the evolution. So you said something earlier that I just wanted to um, say one thing about. You said something about us having our own um, work to do. What I feel blessed with is that I have over time, um, and I think by being picky about who I want to spend time with, have ended up spending time with people who help me where I'm blind or where mm -hmm. I'm um, deaf and dumb. And the key is what David said earlier, honesty. So seeking to be with people who, who are not only living honesty in their own way of life, but also willingness to be honest with me 
is such a treasure. And I just want to acknowledge that position, that proactive position that you're taking in not only choosing to surround yourself with that sort of, I'll call it energy, the energy of people who will share honestly with you and reflect back to you honestly, but that you're willing to actually receive it. And you're sometimes, not- <laughs> <laughs> sometimes <laughs> I'm human. I, but, I, <laughs> but I'm more aware than I've ever been of when I clench, that yeah. inner clench. But yeah. I can't pretend that I'm free. Oh, geez. No, not all well, the time. I don't know. Glimpses. Will ever be. But taking that position of power, because really it is a position of empowerment, and taking feedback that some people could find to be negative and could, could easily take on that victim mantle, or they could take it as an opportunity to explore parts of their psyche that they don't want to explore, parts that they've kept suppressed for for various reasons conscious and unconscious mm-hmm. well what i find with the you know the people that i'm that i that i work and live with there, w- when you have this culture of honesty you find that there's no need to use honesty as an excuse to shoot arrows at each other in the name of honesty, you know, I'm going to tell you what I think of you. That that isn't just that's not the culture I'm talking about. Honesty is something that is um, modeled to you, and you just you just you you become more reflective and honest because you're with people who are also honest. Yes, I can't explain it any better than that, really. So there's no need to to to, to cloak ourselves in this. Um, idea that being honest is means that you have a right to shoot arrows at each other in the name of honesty that that that's unfortunately part of our western culture also or maybe humanity's culture i shouldn't say western culture people have been shooting arrows since ever since humanity existed you spoke earlier a few times about you used the term brainwashing what is it that you are feeling or mean by that? Well, I don't mean it in a negative way. I mean it in a, in a, in a way of describing a process, the way I was socialized as a child through school and through my, you know, the socialization with my family. I had great parents. I had a wonderful childhood. And the limitations were that values were passed on to me in the name of wanting to do the best for each other. So things like, I was brainwashed into making good grades. I'll keep it simple. Mm-hmm. You know, in my day, in my day, you got A's on your report card. There was 12 subjects and you either got an A or an A minus or a B or whatever. And if I brought a report card home that wasn't 12 A pluses, my dad would say, why did you only get an A? And he, and he meant it with, the greatest love of all he wanted me to have the best so I was brainwashed into thinking that my sense of adequacy and self-esteem relied on performance and that's 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 a one that sticks it's on a molecular level which when it's imprinted on you from an early age so that's what I mean by brainwashed it's 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 deeper than even brain it's 
it's molecular in a way. That's not really molecular, but it's it's deep. It's deeply ingrained. Let's put it that way. And it's habituated. So anyway, that's an example. Yeah, and I think if we went into more examples, I think probably the root of many of them, if not all of them, would be this external validation seeking. And especially yes. today in the age of social media, uh, it seems like that's what everyone, including our kids, are doing is they're seeking the most likes and the most oh, friends and yes. the most hits. I was just and- going to say that thumbs up. How many thumbs up did so-and-so get versus it's it's yeah. lethal in a way. Yeah. So And it's and it's seductive. It's seductive. It is. So turning that back to the topic of five elements, what do we what does the five element philosophy offer us in a way of taking that or redirecting that energy that is so focused on seeking external approval? Great. The actual, okay, JR used to say to us, close your eyes and pick, don't picture, picture anything in the world except a blue horse. And we'd all sit there giggling because the moment you close your eyes and try not to picture a blue horse, the one thing that you picture is a blue horse. You can't not picture it without having that image in your mind. So we were taught early on, or what I gathered from what he was pointing to, is that you can't undo something. You can't not do what you've been conditioned to do. But what you can do is something different. So what I love about five element acupuncture is that when you are focused with curiosity and suspended in a timeless zone, because time and space disappear, when you're really present in my experience, in order to appreciate and experience the odor of another person and the color and the sound and the emotion, you naturally transition into a different state. And I am in love with that state. It's called freedom and peace. And I love it. And I, 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 it's effortless. And so it's not a matter of going against what I've been conditioned to do or getting rid of something I've been, it's almost like saying you go into, you don't go into a dark room and get rid of darkness. You go into a dark room and you illuminate it with light. So it's not getting rid of conditioning. It's realizing there's a different reality that we can live with. So the, what JR taught us, and it's not just five elements, it's the way he taught it. The, 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 the pity is that probably 99% of the pers- of people, even who practice five element, don't necessarily get the message he was pointing to. Just because you're a Chinese scholar or you're a Christian or a Jew and you read texts that are sacred doesn't mean you meet God or you live with God in your heart, or you realize that God is in your heart, you, that's a different thing. So just knowing five elements is not, is not the key. It's, it's, it's bowing to the natural order that five elements describes. It's an actual inner bowing. That's what brings the, in my 
experience. That's what brings the treasure. It's not the academic knowledge, which is a shame because five elements has gotten such a, a name of being kind of maybe elite or different or this or that. And I, I think that's a shame. I think it's where you're coming from in yourself that matters. And whether you call it 27 principles or three elements or is the ideology is not, it matters, but it's not the end game. The end game is how you use the tool. And JR taught us that. He always used to say, it's how you use your instrument and your instrument is, are your senses. You've, God gave you the ability to see, to feel, to smell, to hear, and it's how you use those, how you use yourself as an instrument, that, that's what matters. Mm-hmm. Judy, in, so, our last, in our last podcast, you mentioned about uh, with the senses and, and being like an antenna and a sense of a JR used to describe it as a jar, especially in ourselves with emotion. Could you elaborate yeah. on that, that sense of a jar and that, that he's describing and go a little deeper into that? It's, 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 it's how do I describe it? Well, first of all, I can give you a few tips to feel a sense of what you, you, we would describe as an inner jar when, when, you're, when you're present with somebody, you first have to be present, otherwise you won't feel it. So the antenna or that needle within us, and I don't mean the needle we insert, I mean the needle that's like on a, um, what do you call those that where the needle goes back and forth, registering? Like a barometer or a... Yeah, yeah or like a compass. compass. Yeah. You've got a needle that's free. If the needle's stuck in a position, then you won't register anything. So to be free means that you are suspending all attitude of, I know this person because of their type, or I know this person because of certain categorizations, or I know this person, all of that drops the moment you are willing to sit with the unknown and then the needle's free. When that needle's free, the inappropriate sound or the inappropriate emotion comes through loud and clear. Like JR taught, the officials are communicating with us, but they're not communicating through verbal language. They're communicating through um, nonverbal language. Two thirds of what we experience is nonverbal. The spirit doesn't use English or French or Italian to communicate. On that level, it's nonverbal and it's um, invisible. So the jar happens naturally. And I, one analogy that I've, I've, I've been given is wilderness tracking or to watch animals who are tracking. My cats don't go, I'm sure they don't sit at the doorway and calculate the way we human beings do. I'm going to go outside and find a mouse. I watch them walk outside and start sniffing the air and looking around, poised for the unexpected, for whatever. They're just out there roaming. 
And that's what JR taught us to do. We're roaming and we're looking and we're noticing and the unexpected happens, the unexpected. The person will communicate on a nonverbal officials level, which is color, sound, odor, and emotion. Those are all nonverbal. But to go back to Todd's question, we've been brainwashed into thinking that knowing a person is through what they say. And Jerry used to offend some people when he used to say 90% of what comes out of our mouth is garbage. I hope people listening to this aren't going to say that includes you, that 90% of what you're saying now is garbage. <laughs> <laughs> but he didn't mean it in that sense. He meant it when we're just when we're sharing ourselves with other people and our our filter of how am I coming across and what's my image and all the things that Todd mentioned before in terms of validation. When that is activated, then we're just on a different wavelength. It's a wavelength. It's a vibration, really. And you know that I'm not very, um, what do you call it? Um, I don't talk new age, new age language very much or talk about vibrations. But actually, it is like on a vibration level. And that's what's so liberating. It's so lovely to, to, to be in the world and not have to converse on an academic, intellectual, verbal level only. I'm not dismissing it. I'm not dismissing the intellectual level. Of course, we need that. And there's profound um, learnings to be, to be um, experienced in, in those levels, but it's not the only level. Mm -hmm. So the jar happens when we're, when we're fr free and easy and relaxed. I mean, and, and it seems kind of counterintuitive to be relaxed when you're going into a patient and they're expecting you to perform miracles for them. It's, it's slightly counterintuitive. I wanted to address what I'm finding is this dichotomy too of, you mentioned, I think the potential pitfalls in categorizing people and thinking you have them figured out. And I think a lot of people, when they think of, five elements, they think about doing just that, categorizing people based on their elements. Can you speak to that? JR discouraged that with all his might, but people are people. And this is what I mean by brainwashed. We are brainwashed. It's so seductive because what it gives us is the feeling and it's a false feeling that we've competently figured somebody out. Mm -hmm. It's a false sense of this, power. Yes, exactly. That you that you that you're okay. It's a false sense of security. I I've been doing this 49 years. I don't ever come out from a patient feeling secure. I, I the one thing that I sort of sort of gotten maybe a little free of is the compulsion, the obsession, the absolute devotion to feeling secure. It's, it's, it's false. It's a pretense. That's that you asked about brainwashing. That's another area. We're brainwashed into thinking that the God of security is where we should put our 
heart and soul. And that's just false. That's false. That's a false God. The place we put our heart and soul is, is the opposite. The opposite. Realizing that real security comes from not needing to feel secure. Well, from what you said earlier, freedom. Freedom. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So how do how do you then use the elements to not pigeonhole someone and to think, oh, I've got you figured out, but to use that uh, data, that information that you're perceiving through senses and through your intake process? How do you use that then in a beneficial way? You use it, but it, but, okay. You use it, but it's, 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 the process of how you get to it. You don't use it to formulate somebody. It's still, okay, it's so difficult to explain, but it's not difficult. It's so simple. It's Jared also taught, and I completely get it. I do get it, is that our best teachers are children and animals. So how are you with a child without, you know you're with a child, you know they're two years old, there's all the kind of categorizations, but there is something about being present with a child or an animal that is so captivating that you do end up freely being present with a child or an animal on the level that transcends the need to categorize them. Then what will happen is that we'll, what will surface in your intellect or in your mind is a pragmatic or a, um, a conclusion that serves them. But the conclusion that serves them is on an elevated level. It's not on a level of what's going to serve my feeling of security. It's on a level of having been with the person in a way that allows you to access information and then the conclusion the diagnosis of what element they are is in a completely different arena you don't use that in a way to explain the person it is the root balance the root of their imbalance it is not a define a definition of the person you can have a hundred fire cfs and they are as different from each other as if you had 20 of each of the five elements. There is no similarities, except for the fact that their color, sound, odor, and emotion has led you to the element that needs to be treated that will resolve the cause of their imbalance. It's very, very different. Um, it is such a compulsion to want to feel secure. So. To use the five elements to, to categorize people is, how do I put it? It's, it's, it's a very surface level. It doesn't go to the depths of what you, what's possible and what's available. Um, it, it, it's the, it's, it's the compulsion we have to want to understand people because there's either a reservation or a, a, a uh, fear or, a, or another emotion. So th there's, there's this compulsion to, it's, it really is about our attachment to feeling secure. There's a security, if I can meet you, Todd, and feel like, well, 
he's going to tell me by his words and his actions and his preferences and the data that he gives me, I'm going to have the answer. I can sit with you in a place of comfort, ego comfort or mental comfort, but it's not the same as being with you in a state of, I have no idea who you are or what makes you tick. Curiosity. I, I, that's the key. That's what Jr. That's you. I was just going to lead up to that. That the key that Jr. taught us is curiosity, a willingness to sit with someone with curiosity. But you can't have both. You can't have curiosity and your mind actively nailing down security, moment to moment. We've got to. We've got to make a choice. I think the temptation is Judy that you. The temptation also exists is once, as you said, there's a hundred fire CFs and they're all unique individuals. And the temptation exists that to put ourselves in that box of saying, oh, I'm going to walk in and treat this fire person. And all of a sudden we miss out on them. And that is that security that you mentioned. And to walk in and just be with them is, is, uh, for me as a practitioner, so much more free and rewarding. It makes being with patients my greatest joy, you know, every day. Well, I can give you testament to the fact that I lived with JR. I was his student for 30 years and I lived with him and I was married to him. I never, ever heard JR describe anybody in terms of their CF in terms of characterizing them or looking at them as a, through a lens of this person is X, Y, Z. I don't want anybody to see me as a Virgo and characterize me. I mean, that's one facet of who I am, but I've been told by astrologers that we're all unique and we have different uh, planets that intersect and it, it's all about being a unique individual. So it's, it's absurd really to characterize people by one of five elements. Mm. People are, they're astrological Chinese uh, relationships, uh, Western astrology, uh, ethnic background, um, so socialization, um, your destiny. I, I I think we all believe that in some way, I mean, my brother and I are very close. We come from the same gene pool. We had the same parents and we have different paths. So we're yeah. born with certain destinies also. All of those things make us what JR always emphasized, a unique individual. Well, you can't have it both ways. You can't approach people as if they are this categorized element and respect the fact that they are a unique individual. Yeah. Well, it takes me back to the brainwashing thing. Cause I think one of the things that we are brainwashed is that we are, we all now are characterized by labels or compartmentalized. And I've heard so many people say things like, Oh, I have ADHD. And it's like, well, well that's just an excuse that you're using or to, to label your children as having ADHD and then use that as terrible as, as a characterization Tragic, that they then carry with them everywhere they go, because then that's what they expect. That's what people are going to expect of them. And we're just perpetuating this label 
that really is a bunch of rubbish. And so we go through the world and everyone has, it's the job that they do, the, the religion that they practice, as you said, the, the culture that they come from, the, the element constitution, their Enneagram, whatever diagnosis they carry, I'm a cancer survivor, all of those things, in my opinion, potentially can be used as tools in a powerful way, but I think most people use them as crutches in a victimized sort of way. And that's just, well, that, that's hollow, just the way I am. So I can't do anything about it. No, it's, it's a level that excludes the fact that you are none of those things or you, and you are all of those things. Yeah. So JR steered us away from that totally the labeling and truly taught us how to see people as unique individuals. I couldn't agree with you more about all these labels and filters. It filters out what the person's, the reality of who the person is. I think that's one of the greatest strengths of five elements and other forms of holistic medicine uh, compared to, and I don't want to put down Western medicine, but Western medicine is, it, it is built upon labeling. And if you don't fit within the parameters of what is considered normal based on this battery of tests, then you have this disorder or this disease or this condition. And to use the, the 50 or hundred people with a fire CFs as an example, same thing. If you have 50 people who are diagnosed with lung cancer, of course, they're all going to manifest with different symptoms. They're all going to be in different stages of health or pathology. And Western medicine tends to want to treat all 50 of those people the exact same way because they've been labeled with lung cancer. Even but they're not lung cancer. That's not their identity. Exactly. It's a, exactly. It's, 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 a, it's a facet of their existence that they happen to have this um, disease process, or I don't even know if it's called a disease process, and the limitation is that once you, you put somebody into a typecast, you deny yourself the opportunity to be free with them, to freely experience them here and now. We don't do that to children. You don't, I don't think you'd go into your own child or any child and, and greet them with a preconceived notion of who they are. That's one of the spectacular um, experiences about being with animals and children is that we feel a difference in how we're with them than how we're with perhaps peers or patients or other adults because of this the constraints of having to please or be approved of or perform or accomplish something. It's the agenda. I don't think we meet children and animals with the, uh, the agenda that we meet people with. I may be wrong on that, but I, that's my experience. How is one to best benefit from the knowledge of their own personal constitutional factor? Zero to okay, and to not fall on the pitfalls <laughs> and having labels. <laughs> and just to clarify, Todd, in, in and to clarify, Todd, in Worsley Classical Five Element Acupuncture, we we don't refer to the cons constitutional factor. CF stands for causative factor, which is a very important 
differentiation because you can see how the concept of constitutional factor has led to this pigeonholing. And causative factor is, is really this sense of an Im imbalance and a very important imbalance to address because that's what's going to be of our ability to help. So the whole concept of a constitutional factor then basically is kind of pigeonholing someone in that particular it's category. It's not wrong and it's not bad. It's just we need to see it for what it is. And what it is, is it's another level or another facet of who we are. And you can have a constitutional factor that is not the same as your causative factor. So then the question was raised to me with quite a bit of intensity. So is causative factor a the same as constitutional factor? And the answer is no, it's not. But it can be considered constitutional because you are born with it. But this is where words got get very twisted and very confusing. I love John and Angie Hicks. I'm very close with them, but they're the ones who coined the term constitutional factor. And it it has, we've lived with a, with a confusion that arose as a result of it. Can um, you ever since. elaborate a bit on the differences between the two constitutional and causative factors? Constitutional factor as I know it from the, the, the texts and from Chinese um, ideology, and is that the right word, David, or um, teachings, teachings, describes- Chinese teachings, I think. You, in terms of constitutional factor, it's, 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 it's a certain description of your body shape and how you manifest in your body and in your, in your life, but it is not the same. In other words, you can have a hundred wood constitutional factors, people who have different causative factors for their imbalance. So if I could use David as an example, this is fictional by the way, if David happened to be according to Chinese medicine, a earth constitutional factor that is irrelevant to when I'm with him because his color, sound, odor, and emotion can be a completely different element. So you can you can have two different, you can have you can have a constitutional factor that is different than from causative factor as taught by JR's lineage, which is to recognize the root cause of an imbalance. So is there a benefit in knowing the constitutional factor as a practitioner? Constitutional factor or causative factor? Constitutional. I think it, in some ways, Todd, it could, it could also, again, what's the appeal of knowing it as a practitioner yeah. is that the appeal is, again, I, I know something. And then how could it not filter in and flavor how you're observing someone and being with them? So it could be a limitation rather than an asset. I mean, it has as much appeal to me as it does reading the newspapers that give me a horoscope for Virgos that day. So does knowing that I'm a Virgo really help me live my life? And the answer is no, not, not in my experience. This isn't an academic um, differentiation or an academic decision. It just doesn't resonate for me. 
and even knowing my 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 chart and all the different uh, angles and this, it doesn't make me live in a freer or more peaceful way because it's academic knowledge that's in my head. And it doesn't orient me to be present and, and at peace. And does the causative factor help? No. With being president, no. present and at peace as a practitioner? No. 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 So what is, None the of use, it does. what is the usefulness, if any, of the, knowing the causative factor? Because it gives, you, it gives you a platform for how to treat somebody. The causative factor is used in a context. I am telling you that Jer never, ever referred to it. We'd be with my family and I would whisper to him, what's my brother's CF? Because I wanted to know. And he'd go, darling, we're not in the clinic. I mean, he just was astonished that I would ask him a question like that because he wasn't viewing people in terms of types or labels, unless he was in a position to help them. Right. It was, it's a way of serving people. And so when you would it's ask- It's not a way of viewing people. Right. Yeah, sorry. When you would ask, what, what's my brother's CF, you were asking, what is his causative factor, correct? Yes. And yes. doesn't the causative factor change depending on the circumstances? Never, never, no. ever, ever. Can you elaborate nope. on that, please? It's not, it's not a theory and it's not a, um, an ideology. It's factual that the color, sound, odor, and emotion doesn't change. What changes is people's lens. They, they, they believe that they're seeing flashing colors, but the, that, that's really fan, fantasy because it, it, it doesn't happen that way. I've seen JR treat people for 40, well, I saw him treat people for 30 years. And th the fact is the color, sound, odor, and emotion doesn't change. It's not what you want or what you believe or what could be or might be, or maybe it's what is. And the what is, is it doesn't change. So at the risk of sounding dunce here, I'm gonna ask again about the difference then between constitutional and causative factor. Constitutional factor, if it, the, the way it's described in John, the, the Hicks's book, which is the original place where constitutional factor was used as CF, is not, it's based on, somewhat based on color, sound, and emotion, but it's based on analyzing behavior and it's, and it's based on analyzing rhetoric and stories and narratives and preferences. And don't get me wrong, I love the Hickses. I'm very close friends with them, but we don't practice in the same way. So let me give you an example. Um, and there's another practitioner that JR trained where there's a, we, you can go to a color, sound, owner, and emotion carnival. And what they would do is take in both contexts take people and say, those of you who have been diagnosed by JR as metal, go into that corner, fire in that corner. And they'd separate the audience or the participants into the five elements and ask them to have discussions about what they have in common with, which, with a view to 
formulating a lens that you can see these people through. Now, my attitude is, why would you want to analyze people that way and rely on JR's diagnosis? I want to learn how JR made the diagnosis in the first place, which is not through analysis of narratives or stories or personality. Um, first of all, it, it's very confusing. I, I have a preference for being with people in a way that's, that's not confusing. I get into a brain um, washing machine or dryer, my head just goes upside down if I try and analyze people in terms of their personalities because there are so many quirks. I mean, you can just go into endless computations of what people's words mean and their narratives and how they say it. And it's so complex in terms the reason it's complex is that people are individuals and we try and formulate them into categories. And the fact is it doesn't really work. And I don't enjoy the experience personally. I love the experience of being with people in a way that um, allows the officials to speak to us in a way that is um, so reliable. And it points us, so it, it's, it, it's, a practical, it's a practical system of how to diagnose and treat somebody. It's not a way of analyzing people so that you can feel like you, we, it, it, you, you, do, you, do, you do know them, you, you have to you have to understand them well you don't have to but you 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 end up understanding them as a natural byproduct of color sound odor and emotion that leads you in the direction of 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 diagnosing and treating them appropriately so to, to answer your question why do we do it we do it because it's the greatest way that i know of to, to treat and serve somebody it, it has a depth to it that transcends what I can do in my head. My head is very limited, very limited. Nature provides us with these incredible senses. What I can see and what I can hear and what I smell and what I feel is so profoundly bigger and deeper than what my intellect is capable of. David, do you wanna jump in? Our minds are very limited. Yeah, go ahead. David. Academically, in a way, the, the common use of constitution is to try to describe every facet of somebody from their birth and that thread all the way through. And causative factor is very simply the imbalance. What's, in, in Judy, as you said, what's unique is the state that needs to that we work in to observe the color, the sound, the odor, the emotion. And in that state, you get to know them as a unique individual, but it's, it, it, you can start to see how constitution trying to understand someone's all facets of their behavior, all facets of who they are and describe it and label it becomes the, a distraction. The point is the Chinese taught us that there are officials if you cannot diagnose somebody and respect the fact that somebody is a composite of officials, 12 officials, 
and turn the person into a, a constellation of personality traits or behaviors or preferences. You, you, it, it, you can't, you, you're not, you're not, you're not um, bowing to the fact that the person is a composite of 12 officials who are communicating to us. And they're communicating in ways that transcend the human ego, the human circumstances, the human quirks. It is, it is speaking to us in a way that allows us access to what is the cause of the person's imbalance and how can we assist nature to restore balance so this person can flourish. It's so simple and it transcends our egotistical desire to accomplish all these different um, analyses, which I personally don't find very satisfying. I don't wanna know a person in terms of their personality only or their narratives or their um, habits or how they've been conditioned. It's so confusing and it's multi-layered. The officials speak directly to us through color, sound, odor, and emotion. And if we're willing to go to a subtle level, you can see what's happening on a, in a person on a spirit level. If you're willing to transcend your own limitations that drive us to want to know somebody in terms of um, very limiting factors. Todd, am I answering your question? I think so. And I, I... Hang in there with me. Oh, no, Because we're great. digging deep. If you just said, and correct me if I'm wrong, that in a particular imbalance, the causative factor will give you, will assist you in helping to treat that imbalance. Is that generally correct? It doesn't help you. It, if you are an instrument of nature, then you, you, uh, you pay attention to what nature's telling you. And nature does not speak to us in words only. The words is one very superficial level. Mm -hmm. Nature speaks to us through color, sound, odor, and emotion. Mm -hmm. And if you, would, if, you, if you respond to that, then you are treating the person in a profound way. And when that imbalance is theoretically balanced, no longer an imbalance, and the next imbalance comes along, does it have the same causative factor? That, no, that, that's a fiction. There's no such thing as something's balanced and then it becomes balanced. Okay. See, that's our human mind wanting to think in dualities. Imbalance, you, you fix it and it becomes balanced. That's not nature. Nature is evolutionary and nature is, is, is dynamic, yes. And no, it, it, it isn't that fire becomes balanced and then the next day you have another imbalance. It's, it's not because it's wrong, it's because it, that's not what happens in the natural order. In the natural order of things, you do have a causative factor, which is the root cause of your imbalance. And it is with you, it is really your, it's, it's lifelong. It's with you from the day you're born. It may not be manifested in a, in a dramatic way until something happens early in your life or later in your life to make that imbalance more obvious or more manifested. JR is diagnosed babies that are a week old and their color and their 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 um, 
odor is obvious from the time of birth. And through treatment, people find greater relative harmony and balance. So this idea of a balanced state that is static is, it just it doesn't occur. It just, you can't look outside and see that it's so much more. It doesn't occur yeah. in nature. You don't, you don't go out and garden in your garden or grow vegetables or tend to, you know, assist trees or assist nature and say, okay, we now arrived. We're now balanced. You're constantly working in a state of flux. That's the nature of energy. The mm -hmm. Tao has talked about an ever flow. It's a flow. It isn't a static. You're one way and then you arrive at another way. It's a it's a flow. So, and hey, a concept that has been discussed on this podcast before, and I don't remember which guest, unfortunately, but it's uh, kind of the misnomer of homeostasis because homeostasis implies static as opposed to homeodynamic, which is the state of fluctuating balance that we're always striving for, but it's always moving. It's dynamic. We're never going to reach that point of homeostasis. We're in a constant flux of homeodynamics. I don't want to be balanced. I don't want to be, I don't think, I, I, that's not something I even that's imagine true. or strive for. What I am in love with is, is, is peace and freedom. And those don't, they are not defined in terms of perfect balance or not balanced. You are perfect even when you're imbalanced. That's nature. That's the natural order. So see, it's not about us imposing our ideas on these things. It's about bowing to the fact that the natural order will explain itself to us. I've never met anybody that is, does not have an odor or that does not have a color. So that, that defines it for us. I don't have to theorize, does it, and it doesn't change. It changes in intensity, but it doesn't change. I've been treating the same people for 45 years. Doesn't change. So it's not my idea or my theory or my belief. It's, it's a willingness to humbly accept the natural order, not as defined by human minds. This is, this is what's so hard to get our heads around because our head doesn't want to accept the fact that it doesn't dominate everything. <laughs> our minds are so tricky. They're like little monkeys in there playing tricks on us, but having fun with us if we're willing to see the humor of it. And it's, it's it, the human mind has a devotion to perpetuating what the human mind believes is going to keep everything secure. I think we call it the ego. Mm -hmm. But I don't want to analyze things in that terms because that's not my expertise, but it sounds pretty familiar to me. So the ego has an attachment to protect, protecting the, the, the welfare of the ego. And the ego has a very strong, strong investment in wanting to be right, wanting to, to nail things down. And so see how tempting it is. We keep wanting to go back to, we do, but we don't, because there's a level beyond the ego that is so um, enchanted by the fact that the natural order 
has a far richer, de deeper, more expansive, amazing, dynamic, ever-changing power beyond anything the human mind can conceive. But we have, there has to be some sense of surrender that our minds don't dominate. Another way we dominate is we start turning elements into either uh, strengths or weaknesses. That's the human mind wanting to make sense of things to feel okay with it all. Your causative factor is not a strength and it's not a weakness. That's the, the mind wanting to turn it into those things. The causative factor is just very simple. It's the cause of an imbalance that nature is communicating to us and saying, if you're willing to surrender to this, please assist nature. And you go, oh, okay. And we've given you all these points on the body. Are you willing to listen? And you go, oh, okay. And you then discover the most magical, powerful, un unexpected. I still say to patients when they come back and say, but so-and-so happened, I go, really? I still am in a state of disbelief. How can you, how can you influence something that's invisible with needles and have such spectacular, I experience it as a patient. I, I'm always like, I go, really? Are you kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> because the uh, human mind is, is not capable. The human mind is not capable of calculating to that depth. And that's, there comes a point where you have to choose who you're going to bow to. Are you going to bow to your thoughts? Or are you going to bow to the reality of the natural order? And JR put it very succinctly when he used to say, come out of your heads and into your senses. I didn't understand what he meant, but it was a very simple invitation because that's where he dwelled. I, I don't wanna, he was not a, he was definitely not a perfect person um, by any stretch of the imagination. He had his own human flaws and quirks and challenges, but he did have an unbelievable depth of knowing with a capital K, the natural order, not from his head, from his being. Yeah. I think that's a great place to wrap things up for this conversation. Oh, Todd, I like being with you. I like talking with you. Have we answered any of your questions? We've created more, Judy. It's a beautiful thing. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> thank you, Todd, for the opportunity to be here. And thank you, Judy, for really digging deep and, and illuminating some Wonderful well, concepts. I, I, I'm going to go away and think about it because I, 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 it's a work in project. What, what is the difference between causative factor and constitutional factor? It's so hard to explain academically. So thank you for challenging me to do that. I, I hope if we ever have a chance to talk again, I'll have a more 
clear academic answer. Okay. Let's uh, make sure we give listeners information on where they can find out more about you guys and your work. Where can they go to do that? Yeah, our website is www.worsleyinstitute.com. That's D-W-O-R-S-L-E-Y institute.com. Excellent. And there's contact information there as well as ways to reach us. And all sorts of other wonderful resources and opportunities to study with you guys. Absolutely. Thank you. It's been an absolute honor again to sit down with you both. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Pacific Rim College Radio with Judy Becker-Worsley and David Berkshire. To learn more about Judy and David, visit the Worsley Institute at worsleyinstitute.com. That's W-O-R-S-L-E-Y institute.com. If you feel drawn to the study of Chinese medicine, the School of Acupuncture and Chinese Medicine at Pacific Rim College offers world-renowned, multi-year programs, including world's first study options, combining acupuncture with Western herbal medicine and holistic nutrition. Visit pacificrimcollege.com to learn more. Also, don't forget to check out our online education in Chinese medicine by exploring the amazing course offerings at pacificrimcollege.online, including many courses featuring other guests of this podcast. Sign up for our newsletter to receive special offers on our newest releases. If you are interested in receiving clinical services in holistic nutrition, herbal medicine, and acupuncture in Chinese medicine, the student clinic at PRC provides more than 7,000 annual treatments. Live holistic nutrition and herbal medicine consultations are both available online, while acupuncture and Chinese medicine treatments can be had at our Victoria campus. Free treatment options are available in all areas. Visit the student clinic at pacificrimcollege.com for more information and to book your appointment. If you enjoyed this podcast, share it with your friends and family and give it a five-star rating on whatever podcast app you are using. Thanks for tuning in. Until next time, welcome into your life the practices of humility, curiosity, and presence.